Welcome to the Rise Podcast, where inclusivity is our priority. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rise Podcast. I'm extremely excited for this episode. My guest today is Joel Gomez, and he is actually a Purdue student, a current Purdue student, um, and he's a freshman studying industrial engineering and technology. And myself, I'm a senior here at Purdue, and RISE, our organization, is centered around Purdue University as well. So this is a very, very exciting episode. We are very excited to have Joel out here. A little bit of background on Joel. Joel is from San Diego, California. He is uh, a one-time Paralympian in the most recent Paralympic Games, uh, where he competed in the 1500 meter at his classification, which is T13. Um, and we're very excited to have Joel out here today. Joel, if you just want to say hi to the to the folks listening and watching. Yeah, everybody, thank you for tuning in, and I'm, I'm very happy to be here, and yeah, I'm really excited to do this podcast. Yeah, I am, ex- if you guys can't tell, I'm extremely excited uh, because not only does Purdue have the opportunity to have um, not only one Paralympian, and we'll get to another one later, actually, um, but we have this organization on campus that is catered towards um, just making Purdue a better place when it comes to disability awareness or just anything about the Paralympic movement. And for those of you that don't know, RISE is R-I-I-S-E, and that stands for Reinventing the Interface of Inclusivity, Sports, and Engineering. So we are all about making Purdue a better place. And what better representation for Purdue and our organization than to be joined by a Paralympian that shares the same classroom and takes the same buses and eats at the same dining court. So we are very, very excited about this episode because this will really kick off what we like to do as this organization here on campus, which is trying to make Purdue a better place and trying to get the Paralympic movement known more. So we're gonna talk a lot about Joel's life, um, uh, his his specific uh, classification and his, dream to making it to the Paralympic Games coming true this this most recent summer. Um, we're going to talk about how RISE um, can impact other universities, maybe all across the world or just America. And we're going to talk about the impact of uh, RISE being an organization catered to helping people with disabilities, which uh, can be under, it be, can be an underrepresentation underrepresented group sometimes. So uh, we're really excited. I'm going to stop talking because I am not the, the main event here. Uh, so Joel, if you want to give me, we're going we're gonna to move kind of chronologically here. Um, do you want to just tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your, your specific disability, um, and how that started? Did it start when you were younger? Or just talk to me a little bit about that, the, the timeline up until probably right now, if that's OK. Yeah, sure. So I was born with a genetic visual condition called blue cone monochromacy, which leaves me legally blind and severely colorblind. I'm also photosensitive and I used to have a bit of nystagmus, although that has kind of waned a bit. Um, Yeah, so I I grew up with that and I've always had uh, plenty of challenges throughout my life in the classroom about just my my vision isn't to the point where I, I need a white paint all the time or anything like that. So it's not a, a very visible disability to others. So I've had to basically 
in some cases convince people that I am legally blind and all of that. So that's been a bit tricky. Um, and I, I started running when I was about, uh, let's see, when I was about nine or 10 years old, I, I played soccer as well. And just as the game became more competitive, the, the ball started moving a lot quicker because it's just we grow stronger and just kick it harder. Uh, so I would, I would be able to run from one end of the field to the other really quickly. It's just I would not be able to get to the right end of the field where the ball was. Uh, so I was spending a lot more time on the bench than I wanted to. And uh, a lot of parents would comment on my speed. So me and my family, we decided that maybe I should try something different and uh, take my strengths to the track where I don't have to worry about a ball. It's basically about running fast. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, I love that story. And I love that origin story where, um, and, and I love your attitude about it too. You're just kind of laughing, saying the ball got too fast and you're like, all right, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to do track. And I, myself, I did track in high school and I, and I love track and I love seeing the representation that that track offers because we've had, we, most of the people that compete in track, um, at least on my high school team were people that were cut from soccer or cut from football or weren't big enough to play football. And then they just fell in love with the sport. So kind of talk to me a, a little bit about you falling in love with track because um, I, I understand that soccer wasn't the best suit for you, but talk to me about how you just fell in love with running and um, how you've made a successful career out of it. Yeah, I'd say the most significant reason I fell in love with track in the first place is how it embraced me. Uh, I joined a local club in San Diego. It was just a youth club and I believe it, the San Diego Waves is its name. And it's still a club around there, but uh, and I visit occasionally just to say hi to my, my old coach and just see the newer generations of it. But basically just doing those youth meets with that club, it was just such an embracing environment. And I mean, I'd say that that's pretty much what sparked my love for track. And then ever since I've just been able to uh, progress as a runner, I've been able to get stronger. And then the Paralympic movement, I, I discovered about, uh, I'd say five, let's see, yeah, about five years ago. And now that I had that in my sights, I was able to use that as an inspiration to keep going because running not all the time is a fun thing. I mean, it's it's hard. I'd say maybe 80% of the time, 20% of the time it is fun. Uh, so it does take a lot of perseverance. And I'd say the Paralympic movement has definitely inspired me to keep going and to show people that it's basically uh, anybody can do anything. And that, uh, as I'd say, one of my favorite runners out there, Elliot Kipchoge, uh, says is no human is limited. I love that. I love that a lot. Um, very elegantly said there. And I think your your honesty is, is awesome as well when you say that not all of running is fun. No, uh, definitely not. I, I loved competing. That was my thing. Um, I loved winning and I loved putting in the work and winning. Um, but the running aspect of it wasn't exactly my favorite. I was always envious of people that enjoyed running. Cause I like, I, if it wasn't for sport or if it wasn't for competition or getting better or pushing myself, like, I don't know if I could just go out and have a, like a nice run. Like I would always be thinking about times or distance, or maybe I should pick it up and do a tempo or, so I, I love, I love your honesty there when, when you talk about running and um, talk to me about, uh, this is kind of a specific question, but we've talked about California and kind of how you got your start. What, what brought you to Purdue? I mean, we're in the middle of 
cornfields and, and nothing else here here in Indiana. Yeah. I, know, I know your major is is almost perfect for a, a Purdue degree. So, but talk to me about your your decision to make Purdue and um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, um, I, I'd say just because Purdue is known for their STEM fields, uh, it's a very valued name in industry. And I, I just kind of wanted a change. I, I wanted to definitely go out of state. Um, I mean, California is amazing. The weather is pretty much unparalleled by anywhere in the world, uh, <laughs> let alone the United States. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I really don't know how it ended up being Purdue, but I mean, it just worked out that way. Uh, and I, I've really enjoyed it here so far. Good. And we're very, very happy to have you here because um, you're just a great person. You have a great attitude and we could use as many people like you as possible. So. Um, did, did your disability have any influence in your college decision? Like, let's say you visited another college and you didn't think that, uh, they were doing the appropriate things to, um, make your, your college experience perfect. Um, but Purdue per se, like, can you talk to me about that, um, experience, like choosing Purdue? Was it just because you wanted to choose it or was, was there something that Purdue was doing that you were very fond of? I'd say that played a minor role, not a, not a huge role because I, I've just throughout my life, I, I've learned to really adapt and kind of just do things like every everybody else with or without a disability. Um, so I, I would say it didn't play a huge part, but I did value it to a certain extent. For example, I, I contacted the DRC here just to make sure that it was competent and they were able to get me accommodations for testing and all that. And they were. So, I mean, if they weren't, that probably would have played a pretty big role. Um, but I'd say most of that, I mean, pretty much all the, all the schools that I went to did have a form of that uh, as to like what I needed. So, I mean, if it was a significant thing, it would have been if they weren't able to provide something and that, that would have been a big issue. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, for the viewers or the listeners that aren't familiar, the DRC is Purdue's version of a disability resource center. So basically if you have any, any requirements that you need filled, I personally have visited there quite a bit. And they're they're great people, <clears throat> and uh, basically, if you need anything when it comes to disability, uh, you can just go to the DRC. You can just walk in, and they can help you. Um, it's a, it's a great part about Purdue's campus, and there's also some other good things about Purdue's campus. But the reason why Rise is an organization here, and the reason why we are putting so much uh, emphasis on inclusivity, um, is because we've seen some instances uh, here on Purdue where there could be some changes. Um, I feel like everywhere you go, there, there could always be some changes. Currently, RISE is working on building audits. So we're going to every single building and we're just basically checking, do the, do the elevators work? Um, is there braille on the doors? Um, do the buttons, like the handicap buttons work? Um, where's the nearest handicap parking place? So we're, we're currently going through all of Purdue's campus to, to hopefully see a better campus for, for everyone because and they might make a new $10 million science facility and that's awesome for the science students. But if the elevators don't work, then that's restrictive to who, who can actually enjoy the benefits of that building. So that's the big thing here about RISE is, is what we're trying to do. And we're also trying to get um, sports that you can see in the Paralympic Games here as intramural sports, because I, I just think that would be awesome. We're currently working on getting wheelchairs um, and we're going to put those wheelchairs in the CORAC, 
which is Purdue's version of the gymnasium that everyone shares. Um, and we're going to try and get wheelchair uh, sports here. And just this is all about representation. And that's what we're working on. And Joel, I know I just went on a little tangent there talking about Rise. But can you talk to me about what the organization and what we're trying to do as an organization, Rise? Um, like, how does that make you feel as someone that competed in the Paralympic Games uh, with us being so focused on the Paralympic movement? And do you think like every other campus or um, across the nation should have an organization similar to RISE? Yeah, so I definitely think what RISE is doing is an incredibly noble cause and I, I support it 100% of the way. And I do think that uh, pretty much every, every campus should have this uh, sort of thing, even just regular community centers around the nation, just to spread awareness because not a lot of people know, like, for example, if I tell them I went to the Paralympics, they're like, oh, you went to the Olympics. They, they just combine those two words into one. Uh, so, or maybe they just mishear it or something like that. But uh, definitely, I, I think that uh, spreading the awareness, it, it can never really be a bad thing. Yeah, I 100% agree. And we are really, really excited here at, at RISE. And I know it's been some time since our most recent episode, but I think that's a good thing. We've been so busy working on um, some internal things with, with our organization. And we're, we're finally having in-person meetings because we're a new organization still working through COVID and mask mandates and all that and being safe. Um, but we're working on, we just had a wheelchair obstacle course in the middle of campus. So anyone could just walk by, try out a, a, a basketball wheelchair for their first time and maybe leave with a better understanding of the difficulties and challenges that um, people with disabilities have to go through. So we are very, very excited with the work that we're doing. And we're also very excited to have someone incredible like Joel here on, on our podcast. And we're, we're looking forward to working with Joel um, with our organization as well, uh, including um, him because he can be a, an incredible speaker and incredible advocate of our, our newly growing organization. So I think we've talked a lot about the business stuff and all like that. But I, I realized when I when I emailed you today that like my email is just like Sean English 24. Yours was Joel Gomez music. So yeah, <laughs> can you tell me about music? Do you just are, are, is this a recent thing? Um, do you make music? Where can we find your music? Talk to me about like your passion with music. Yeah, so when I was uh, about four years old, actually, a neighbor of ours was moving and they were uh, getting rid of a lot of their things and they had a violin out on their driveway that was just, it was like a garage sale or something like that. And I saw it and uh, I was, I'm just a generally curious individual. So I, I asked my parents, uh, could we get that? Or could we keep it, please? And so we did and he let us keep it for free. And I would take it out every single night and place it on the couch because it was, it was too big for me to even hold at the time. And I would play it every single night. And my parents were thinking to themselves, they'll just give up on it eventually, they'll forget. But I didn't. And about maybe a few few months later, they finally caved and said, would you like some lessons uh, with the violin? And I said, of course. And so we, we found a properly fitting violin. I, I think it was a quarter-sized violin back then. And uh, we found a very patient and understanding teacher. Luckily, it was our, the first teacher that we even looked up. Uh, her name was Jenny Chin. And uh, she would blow up all my music notes uh, to maybe about quadruple the size. Um, and uh, I would be able to see them because originally, I mean, music notes, everybody knows those, those are tiny. 
so basically that's that's how I learned the violin. And uh, uh, Jennifer Chen, she also played the piano. So that's how I decided to start playing the piano because I, I got curious and I was like, oh, that, that looks fun. So when I was five, I, I started learning the piano uh, as, as well as the violin. And she would do the same thing, just uh, enlarge the notes. Uh, so I played those two instruments for quite a while. And then when I turned nine or 10 years old about, uh, I saw a Disney commercial for their new resort in Hawaii. Uh, and there was a kid playing the ukulele and it looked like a lot of fun. So I decided to spend my birthday money on getting an ukulele. And that's when I started singing as well, just because the ukulele is a fun instrument on its own, but uh, it's kind of a, uh, it's more of a supplemental instrument, kind of like the guitar. Um, it can't really, it can, I mean, it can stand on its own for sure. Like I'd say that's, that's pretty much how I play it nowadays. Um, but uh, then on my 12th birthday, my uncle gave me a guitar. So those are the four instruments that I have learned to play rather proficiently. I don't play the violin or piano as much anymore or the guitar. The ukulele is the one that I uh, mainly take with me whenever I go places. Like I, I even took mine with me to Tokyo and I even have it here at Purdue. Um, and I, I definitely have learned more of the, like more of the standalone songs on it, which is called fingerstyle, where you're basically playing the melody of a song on the ukulele. And I have a YouTube channel called Jolji Music. Uh, and I started that when I first got the ukulele as well. And I, up to now, I think I have about 50 songs up on there. Uh, two of which are originals. One is named, uh, kind of ironically, Run It Blind. And that's about uh, my, my, just my life's path from transitioning from soccer to running and how I just persevered through all of that, uh, I guess, adversity. Um, and then the other song is Along for the Ride, which kind of has a very similar message of just kind of going with the flow and just not letting things stop you. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my whole musical journey, I'd say. Uh, I guess one other thing is I, I do also teach the ukulele. Uh, I've kind of put that on hold just because of college, but uh, back during high school, I would teach uh, at the library uh, weekly lessons to a group of maybe five or six peers about my age. And then after COVID hit, I decided to start my own business with that. And I, I started teaching private lessons to just uh, some people, some of them were old students from the library. And that, that was actually going pretty well. But then I, of course I can't teach them from here. Zoom is tricky to teach music over uh, just because, I mean, there's latency and just, it's not as good of a quality of lesson either. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much all of my all of my music, uh, I guess, summed up. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. I might need to uh, ask you for some some lessons because yeah, sure. I, I might might have to hire you get get you back in the business. Well, that's that's really cool. Um, for those people that are interested, and if it's okay with you, I'm um, I would put the link to your YouTube channel in in the link of our podcast. Yeah. Um, and so people can check it out and I'm really excited to check out that uh, running blind. That's going to be really cool. Um, especially after now that we've talked. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. So it seems like music is, is one of your big hobbies. Um, but, and you said you brought the ukulele over to Tokyo. How, how was it over there? Like, cause you, there was only a few times where you, where you were out competing. Uh, how was yeah. it like, passing the times? And I saw a lot online with the cardboard beds. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if you can tell me a little bit about that, but like, how'd you pass the time? How was, how was the Paralympic experience good outside of the, the race day? Yeah, so the overall experience was absolutely out of this world. It, it was nothing that I could have imagined. Um, I, I left on August 10th for Tokyo. 
and it was about a it was a close to 30 hour travel day I'd say about 25 hours um it's, so it was a long travel day and we got there and we, we spent our first 10 to 12 days I believe at the Yokota Air Base uh, which was about an hour outside of Tokyo and we had our training camp there just to acclimatize to the weather because it was quite humid very humid and not not hot yet like it, it, we were kind of there during a bit of a storm that they had a bit of a rainstorm so it wasn't as hot as it could have been um but yeah that Yokota Air, Air Base was so so great it was just an amazing experience the running trail went right by the runway so I got to run right along the runway and I could see the planes parked um I mean these huge huge military planes so that was awesome the track was great and the food was even better really I, I was very surprised because military food you wouldn't think would be too great but it was it was quite a surprise uh, and then so uh, after that we moved into the athlete village and I believe that was about 10 days out from my race and that was on like August 21st I believe and the village was absolutely <laughs> out of this world uh, and I, I think I got pretty lucky with the with the dorm that uh, I got because I had a single room. I mean, it had two beds, but I I requested in a, in a survey from a long time before we left for Tokyo to have an, my own room if possible. And uh, I recommend that to all Paralympic athletes if they get the chance because it was great having my own room, not having to kind of put up with another person. Um, yeah, but the, the dorm was absolutely insane. The view was incredible of Tokyo Bay and the Rainbow Bridge. And the food was out of this world, 24-hour dining hall. I do like produced dining halls here, but uh, I, I have to give it to Tokyo, I think, for, for that. Um, and it was it was a bit difficult coming back here right after uh, Tokyo just to, to come to the dining halls here. I was a bit disappointed at first, but I've, I've grown to like them for sure. Um and the stadium was just absolutely out of this world, huge. Uh, the track was one of the one of the fastest tracks I've ever run on in the sense of its grippiness and the type of material that they used to build it because it's not just a form of rubber, it's a very specific type of polymer that they used to design it um, just to make it as basically as responsive as possible. Uh, so that was just an amazing experience and just the whole, the whole ride was just, uh, it was surreal I'd say. That's awesome. That's really cool. And Purdue's dining courts are actually pretty well, like pretty good. So yeah, it must have been really, really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the best things was 24 hour dining hall, meaning it never closed. So that's one issue with Purdue. I have to time my meals a lot more. Like I have to say, okay, I'm going at this time. Otherwise I'll forget in a, in a sense, whereas there you just go whenever you felt hungry. So that that's, I mean, if Purdue could ever improve their dining halls, it'd be having a 24 hour dining hall, but that's definitely, that's maybe 50 years in the future, they'll have something like that, but. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we can do as an organization to get 24 hour dining. We'll yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to my people. How about that? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, well, that's, that's incredible. I love hearing, hearing your story and, and your perspective there. Um, that's just that's, uh, that that plane like that plane story that you told and that experience just beginning to end would be awesome um yeah that's that's really cool thank you thank you so much for sharing that and yeah, no thank you so much for talking talking to me today and sitting down and we look forward to um working with you very closely in the future with rise and we look forward to all cheering you on and um whatever steps you got to do here and uh, if you ever need any help with Purdue or or any advice on or on anything, just let me know. I'm 
I'm an old man here now. I'm a senior, so uh, I'd love to pass down my knowledge. So, but we'll definitely stay in touch. Um, I'm very much looking forward to to working very closely with you, especially with Rise. So, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for for taking out the time. Um, it was an awesome, awesome time talking to you, and I'm very, very excited to get this out so the so the viewer, viewers can hear um, our conversation because this is one of the best ones we've had. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you having me again and. Uh, just, yeah, it was great talking with you. And if anybody ever has any questions, uh, feel free to reach out and uh, feel free to also check out Joel G Music on YouTube. Uh, I haven't uploaded in a while, but <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. And if anyone is uh, interested in contacting Joel, I will have his Instagram in our um, description of our podcast. And I will also have the uh, music is, is YouTube music channel in the description of our podcast. And if you want to check out any of our other episodes, you can just find it in our link tree page uh, in the description and bio of our Instagram, also in our Twitter and our LinkedIn. And we, are, we have a website now, so you guys can check out the Rise website. Um, there's a lot of big things coming up soon. We're very excited for the direction that we're taking this organization. And we're very excited for more, more podcast episodes as well. So yeah, again, Joel, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Um, just any closing remarks? Yeah, no, I mean, really just thank you. And uh, I, I definitely am I'm proud to be a supporter and a part of RISE. And I'm looking forward to see how the organization grows in the future. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you so much for coming out. This has been the RISE podcast. Thank you and have a good day.